once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young uh, superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely... Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be I am coming to you live the night before what will almost certainly be the deciding round one way or another of the 2020-2021 FIDE Candidates Tournament. We talked about this actually on the show. We've talked about it twice now because the tournament has dragged on for literally over a year. And it's very exciting. We're in the culminating moment. We've reached the climax, you know, the climax of the story, and we're going to have a resolution. So let's start there. We're going to jump right in today on the Chess Underground. We have a lot to get to. I want to quickly touch on the candidates. I know there's a lot of media out there already about it. Probably consume some of that, watch the game live, watch the video recaps. So we're going to just touch on it briefly, catch everybody up, what's going on, give my thoughts about it, do a little thought dump on the candidates. Second. I want to wrap up a little bit uh, the previous season, which was Tournament Life. We have a little housekeeping to do there. And then third and finally, on the show this month, I'm going to introduce our new theme for season three, which starts in May, which I am really excited about. I think this is going to be a really fun one. I think this is just going to be fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to it, and I want to tell all you guys all about it. So let's dive right in. Here we are, Sunday, April 25th, evening time, and in a few hours, not very long now, the 13th round of the Candidates Tournament will resume. The Candidates Tournament, again, for the uninitiated, this is the event that determines the next challenger for world champion Magnus Carlsen. Who's it going to be? Who is going to face off against him later this year to become the new world champion, or of course, if Carlson wins, he remains the world champion. And pretty much, I think, even mathematically, it's basically down to three people, maybe even two. You know, there's an outside shot here for number three, and that's Maxime Vashilagrov. He's sitting right now on plus one at six and a half out of 12. He came into the resumption of the event tied for first. But as we discussed on the show a few months ago, also came into the resumption of the candidates tournament in not his best form. I think he would even agree. And sure enough, it showed right away with a loss in round eight. That was the first round of the resumption. And he lost his game with the black pieces to American number one, Fabiano Caruana, who at that moment, after round eight, was looking pretty good as if he could maybe make a run. He currently now sits on 6 out of 12, 
and is pretty much done in the event. Um, Caruana, after that win in round eight, uh, drew his round nine game against tournament lowest rated uh, Alexeyenko, drew his uh, his round ten game against Ding Liren from China, and then drew his round eleven game against tournament leader, current tournament leader Jan Nepomnishi. But in round 12, unfortunately, he ran into the red-hot Anish Giri Grandmaster Anish Giri, Anish Giri Dutch number one, and lost. And that probably, for all intents and purposes, was the end of Fabi's tournament. It's just too far behind with only two rounds to go. So, in fact, I believe he is now mathematically eliminated. But tomorrow, Vashri Lagrav, who is on life support, is facing Jan Nepomnishi tournament leader with eight. This is the matchup. I mean, this is the matchup. This is pretty much all of the cookies, as they say, right here. Now, it should be mentioned, Anish Giri at seven and a half out of 12, of course, by no means is eliminated from contention. Very much alive. But the critical match tomorrow, for sure, is going to be Vashilagrav Nepomnishi. Nepomnishi with white, excuse me, Vashilagrav with black. And there's your standings, top three. One of these three players we know for sure is going to move on to face Carlson later this year. French Grandmaster Maxime Vachelagrave in third with six and a half out of 12 plus one. Anish Giri on plus three, seven and a half out of 12. In clear second place now after his win uh, yesterday against Fabiano. And Dutch, uh, excuse me, Russian player Jan Nepomnishi at the top of the field with 8 out of 12 on plus 4, has managed to maintain his excellent form in the second half that he displayed in the first half, and is leading the field. He's in the pole position. He's definitely the clear favorite to move on and face Magnus Carlsen. It has been a lot of fun, actually. For the first time since I can remember, a candidate's tournament saw four decisive results out of four games. 100% decisive results. That, of course, happened yesterday where Caruana lost to the aforementioned Anish Giri, who has been on fire, uh, streaking up the field, you know, um, basically has owned the second half of the tournament. Um, he started off um, in round eight with a draw against Nepomnishi, of all people. But then after that, round nine defeated Wang Hao. Um, round 10, another draw with Vashi Lagrav. Round 11, defeated Ding Li Ren. Round 12, as we've already alluded to, defeated Fabiano Caruana. So he has just been on fire. And he's only half a point off the lead. Most likely, you know, there are some scenarios where Vashi Lagrav, especially if he beats Nepomnishi tomorrow, there are some scenarios where he can maybe sneak by, squeeze in. Um, but most likely, we're looking at a two-horse race between Jan Nepomnishi and Anish Giri for the right to face the buzzsaw, the powerhouse world champion Magnus Carlsen. It's going to be a fascinating finish. I feel very confident in that. And tomorrow's game, where Nepomnishi has white against Vashi Lagrav, um, is almost certainly going to be a, a deciding factor in what happens. You know, even if the game is simply a draw, um, I believe that would mathematically eliminate Vashi Lagrav and put Nepomnishi in an excellent position. It should also be mentioned, Nepomnishi holds the tiebreaker over 
Grandmaster Anish Giri, meaning Giri cannot afford to finish on the same score as Nepomnishi. If they do, Jan Nepomnishi moves on. He advances. So Anish Giri cannot afford that. He has to not only catch Jan, but he has to pass him in the standings. And he is currently, again, a half point behind with only two rounds to play. Round 13 tomorrow. Let's look at the matchups. Uh, by the time you will have listened to this podcast, we will know who has won and who has moved on. Round 13 tomorrow. Nipomishi again, as mentioned, white against Vashele Grav. That's a critical game. Giri, who needs to win at least one of the next two, um, is paired with Grishuk. Alexander Grishuk on five and a half, minus one for the tournament, with white against Dutch number one, Grandmaster Anish Giri tomorrow. And Giri needs, Giri needs full points. He has to win. So let's see what will happen in a must-win game tomorrow to determine who moves on and who does not, who comes just oh so close. Now, listeners might remember what we talked about Earlier this year, Giri is coming off a very nice result at Vikanze, basically tied for first in this year's Tata Steel Masters, um, the first major, serious, top-level, over-the-board event in a long time since the beginning of the pandemic. Giri tied for first with um, Alireza Feruja and unfortunately lost the tie-break blitz playoff. Um, so right there, very close. Um, Geary moves on. Or does not move on yet, but has a chance to move on. Okay. I, I think that this event has been and will be remembered as one of the most unique in chess history. You know, we have a world championship qualifying cycle that is basically ending a year plus, 13 months later, than it began. You know, this is one of those things that you'll be playing trivia at the pub. And, of course, we don't, unfortunately, those who do play pub trivia know we don't get enough chess questions. So if you're a pub trivia master out there, we need more chess questions on the menu, please. But there will always be an asterisk, right? You know, this will be the asterisk year, like the, like the shortened strike year for the NBA or MLB. You know, this will be the, the chess asterisk is the the pandemic year. The longest, what was the, that will be the trivia question. What was the longest candidates tournament ever played to determine a champion for, a challenger for the current chess world champion? And the answer will be more than a year. 2020 slash 2021 day candidates event. I saw the coverage on Chess 24, and I thought it was very humorous, amusing, and apropos, the graphic, the graphic that they had uh, designed was a 2020 with the zero, the second zero of the 2020, the, the final zero, rolling over to a one, like one of those old clocks, where the number kind of rolls rolls down. Um, and that, that made me giggle a bit. Okay, so we are all caught up in the candidates. I'm thrilled to see what happens here to finally know who the next challenger is going to be. 
unfortunately, I know we have a lot of uh, chess, chess Team USA fans out there. I am one of them. I love supporting American players. You know, when I was growing up um, in, the, in the 90s and uh, the early 2000s, uh, we, didn't, we didn't really have that upper echelon 2,700-plus American player to root for in these type of events. And now, all of a sudden, you know, we're spoiled. You know, we've got a bunch. We've got Caruana, So, Nakamura. Uh, Dominguez, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. Even Komsky was was up there for a long time. Um, and it's really fun. It's a really great time to be an American chess fan. Unfortunately, for all of us um, American chess fans out there, we will not see a rematch between world number one and world number two, Magnus Carlsen and Fabiano Caruana, this year anyway. But I do look forward to, to, to seeing that down the road. Okay. Moving on to item two. It, it has been really, truly, probably the weirdest year in the history of American and global chess. And I've said multiple times, you know, throughout the show during the past year to various guests, I mentioned it in my December solo pod that I am very happy to have chronicled this experience. And, you know, that's what we've got. We've got a record of this really bizarre, weird year on tape. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I certainly hope there will never be anything like it again. You know, I've also said many times, this is not what I expected to get when I established the theme for season two of Tournament Life. But I'm someone who's played in hundreds of tournaments over the board, probably 500-ish around, counting the ones before the database started in 1992 that I played. I did play some rated events before 92. And I've played thousands of online games. In fact, you know, sometimes I'll be starting with a new student, uh, a scholastic player, a younger kid. And they'll ask me, they'll say, Coach P, you know, do you ever lose a chess game? Which always makes me chuckle, no matter how many times I've heard it. You know, just the thought from this first grader, second grader, third grader, whatever they are, that how could, <laughs> how could Coach P ever lose a game? And they're just, their eyes get wide when I tell them I've lost thousands of games online and in person. And, you know, we've, we've had to, by force, migrate to online play. And I know many of you, like me out there, miss the over-the-board experience. You know, that, that's what tournament life is about. It's like the camaraderie and, you know, the famous man in the arena, right? Being in the arena of play. And putting yourself out there and testing your skills in the in the heat of battle, if you will. But you know, when I when I play like a Lee Chess Arena or when I play online, it's different, and I'm I'm wanting something different and I'm expecting something different. And I know this may sound radical, but that's okay. You know, it's okay to have a different experience, and it's okay to acknowledge that even though we've been forced into this strange reality. There are certain things that, there are certain conventions that we have to accept when we play online. 
And there are certain things that we've come to expect from playing over the board that we won't have again until we're able to do that. And I certainly hope that a return to over the board chess on a, on a wide scale is coming soon. Stay tuned to a theater near you, right? It's coming soon. And I think as I sit here in April of 2021, that it probably will. We've come around the bend, if you will. We've gotten a lot of shots in arms. The vaccine is being distributed. And hopefully we can we can finally begin to resume tournament life as we knew it, as I knew it for decades, as many of you knew it for years or even longer, or even half centuries for some of you, before March of 2020. I know I've seen some over-the-board tournaments already back. Uh, Daniel Garrett, former guest on the show, participated in one in Indiana just uh, last weekend, I believe. Um, I know Eric Vigil and the Iowa crowd, guest on the show this, this year, during the tournament life season, held an over-the-board tournament very recently, has plans for another. So I'm... I'm hopeful, I think, is, is the conclusion of this season of tournament life, which I guess has really been digital tournament life. I have, in a digital, weird, strange, socially distanced moment, I have perhaps the most important human emotion, which is hope, that tournament life as we know it will be back. And that's how I'd like to end season two with the thought that, look, we made it. If you're, if you're listening to this, hopefully you made it. You got through the year that we have had. You improved your online ratings. Maybe you got an online rating for the first time. You know, some new things have come of this pandemic that I, for one, never thought we'd see. U.S. Chess established an online regular rating. We partnered with online sites. We reviewed their fair play systems in depth and endorsed them. Continental Chess Association is holding like the, you know, the, the Kentucky Open online and players are, are participating. Scholastic players are, are, are playing. We just held an event this past weekend, the first round of the National Online Scholastic Championship. Never thought I'd hear those words in a sentence. And had about a thousand players, a little, just shy of a thousand. And for the second qualifier weekend, we have already over a thousand signed up. One thing that I wonder, those of you um, who played in the 80s and 90s will remember the large influx of scholastic players and the impact that it had on the U.S. chess regular rating system. And one question that I have that lingers in my mind at the conclusion of this very weird year. That's what we should call March 2020 to March 2021, a very weird year. Um, if, you're, if you're writing a book and you need a title about the pandemic, there you go. You're welcome. Send royalties to uh, Pete Carragana's Care of U.S. Chess. But one thing I wonder is, you know, what impact is it going to have on the rating system when we resume? And will it be 
enough of an impact to the point where some action is required? You know, is there going to be a corrective measure needed? As a coach, I can tell you a kid in March of 2020 who has played and practiced and taken lessons and played in online events, you know, an 11, 12-year-old kid who does that is going to have a lot stronger skill level than their rating will indicate. I've seen scholastic players around that age and older or even younger in a year's time, you know, their, their skill level jumps 300, 400 points in a year. If they get, you know, if, if it clicks, if it clicks and sometimes, you know, you, you can never predict, you know, every coach, every, every student will tell you too, you can never really predict when it's, when it's going to click, when it's going to hit. Chess improvement is weird in that way. You know, you can travel along kind of, a, you know, at the same level, if you, if you picture almost like a heart monitor, right? It's just a flat line. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's a blip and you go way up. And that's kind of how chess improvement works. And then you plateau again and there's a straight line and then boom, there's a blip and you go way up. doesn't work that way for everybody, but in my experience, it works that way for most players. And how many of those blips were hit during the pandemic when the only rating that you could really, you know, for all, for, for all intents and purposes increase was your online rating. You couldn't touch your over the board rating. How many of those blips hit during this last year? And what is that going to do to the rating system when we start playing again? Be interesting to see. It will be very interesting to see and find out. And how will that change or impact tournament life? How many of those players who were so close to their third norm, you know, were they able to maintain the same level of study and intensity and training that is required during this year? to be able to just snap back like that to the board and, and, and get it. Similar to what we discussed, you know, leading into the candidates, will there be rust? Will there, will there be psychological factors? You know, what's it going to look like in this brave new world and this new landscape that we have? So as I, as I put a, a bow on it and the it to appease my seventh grade English teacher, Mrs. Schmidt, I should never leave something ambiguous out there. This, that, these, oh, she hit, I, that was like an automatic 10 points off your paper if you left an ambiguous pronoun hanging. To put a bow on season two tournament life, I think we need to not only look back at what was, and I thank all of my wonderful guests, my, my high level TDs. Um, of course, those of you who listen to the show may, will, will well remember, we also had guests from chess.com, uh, Isaac Steinkamp and internet chess club, Marty Grund. Not only do we need to look back at, at how chess changed, but what changes are yet to come on the horizon as a result of this? Are we going to have, you know, are online tournaments going to become more omnipresent? In the future, what are those going to look like? Esports, esports is huge right now. I know, you know, I see, I have kids of multiple ages, and I see them watching e, you know, anything more than regular anything. And certainly, they a couple of them anyway have like no interest in real sports, but like an esport, they're all over it. And chess is, a, is an eSport. It's becoming an eSport. We see the popularity of the game growing in that direction. 
you know, what is going to become of chess? And perhaps, you know, that's that's one of the age-old questions which we're beginning to see an answer to finally. You know, instead of instead of world champion Gary Kasparov having to go out there and promote himself and secure the prize funds himself, you know, now all of these high-level events we're seeing online, the Meltwater Champions, the Air Things Open, sponsors are coming to the game as an esport. Maybe finally this is how chess becomes the um, attractive game. It probably always should have been to a sponsor, attractive to a sponsor. Maybe this is the window or the avenue or the path where chess is finally able to attract that money to the game and to the sport. A long time ago, uh, I was living in Arizona and golf is very big down there. Year-round golf courses. Out in the desert, of course. Makes total sense. You know, you can go golfing in, in all the sand. Now, um, by the way, that's a really weird thing. If you've ever seen a grass farm in the desert, let me tell you, it just really takes you by surprise. You know, just out of nowhere as you're traveling along the highway, you pass by a grass farm. Really unique thing to look at in the middle of the desert. But in a lot of ways... Uh, I had a, I had a good friend to to continue the story who was a golf pro, and we started talking about what it was like to play in a golf tournament compared to what it was like to play in a chess tournament. And the more we talked about it, the more we came to realize that it was really really similar in terms of the competitive elements of of the sport. You know, they're both very individual sports. They both require a lot of preparation. You know, you got to think about the course. You got to think about the weather. You got to think about what clubs you're going to put in the bag. Um, so they both require a lot of pre-game preparation. Um, you know, you're, you're, they're, they're multiple rounds, right? And the more we spoke about it, the more we realized, you know, again, just from a competitive, like practical logistics standpoint, competing in a chess tournament has a lot of similarities with competing in a golf tournament. You always hear the announcers you know, like in a football game, oh, it's a chess game out here between the two head coaches, right? I actually really dislike that analogy. I think football, in terms of, of strategy and approach and technique and everything like that, is very unlike chess, And if, if, if you think about the actual competitive elements of it. But golf, I think, is a great analogy, and I'm, I'm a football fan. I'm not a golf fan. Golf, as we all know, rakes in the sponsorships. But maybe this is what chess needed. Maybe chess needed e-sports to become a big thing. And we are, you know, we are the old school. We're the, we're the old school e-sport before e was even around. And the old school is sort of becoming the new school. And, and that, by the way, is the perfect segue to the third topic I want to talk about today which is I want to introduce season three of the Chess Underground. When I first started this show, I had no idea even what I was going to do. So it's really cool to be able to announce our third year in a row, season three, three years running of Chess Underground. To those of you who've been with us since the beginning, thank you for sticking it out. I hope I'm not um, boring you to death by now. I'm, I'm having a ton of fun, and it's great to interact with you guys when I do hear feedback. That's wonderful. But season three, the theme, so season one, just to recap, first season of Chess Underground, Americana. We spoke to American players, you know. Um, the, 
sort of the pulse of American chess. I think there were a lot of character portraits that I, I thought were fascinating when I, when I spoke to them. And I could have conversations with those guests for hours. Season two was tournament life. What a, what a weird tournament life year I picked. Man, I could have picked any other year to do that season. And I, I would have had, you know, just normal, hey, here's what a chess tournament is. Here's how it goes. Let's talk to some players. Let's talk to some TDs. Let's recap the experience. But man, I picked a pandemic year to do tournament life, which turned out to be fantastic from a content perspective, but of course, completely unplanned. Season three, announcing season three, Chess Underground. The theme for this year, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. It's going to be streamers. Chess streamers, Twitch streamers, YouTube streamers, chess.com streamers, lead chess streamers, you name it. I'm going to be talking to streamers. People who have taken the game online, televising what they're doing. It, it, televising feels like an archaic term now, right? Like who, who actually watches TV? <laughs> I mean, I know we all do. But like you don't televise an eSport. You broadcast it, right? You, you stream it. You stream it. So we're going to be talking to some streamers. Now, I haven't got my whole lineup out there yet. But I can tell you the first inaugural guest I've already reached out to. He's agreed to come on. It's a bit of a hint, it's a he, um, and you guys are going to love him. Very, very popular streamer. I don't want to give it away just yet. I want to sort of build some excitement. Chess streamers, that's who we're going to be talking to for this entire year of season three. We're going to br bring on streamers onto the show. And my goal, I just want to let you know, is to sort of hit as much of the spectrum as I possibly can. I'm, I'm hoping I can bring on a few very popular streamers. My first guest, I think, definitely fits that bill. And I'm also hoping I can bring on some, some players who, are, who just kind of do it for fun or maybe are just breaking into it and hear some of their motivations and what they're thinking and what they're doing and what their experience is like broadcasting their chess games. I actually myself streamed chess and I still do, although I would not consider myself a streamer because I do it very rarely. Like, I think the last one was like five, six months ago. But I, did, I remember I did my first chess stream a couple of years ago, maybe even longer now. And I was just like playing Blitz on Lee Chess and talking about it. And that was it. And it was like so much fun, you know? I didn't have very many viewers, probably double digits. Um, and just kind of talking and having fun, having a good time, conversing, interacting. I think that's what, what has made streaming and esports so popular is the interaction. It's not, it's not so much directly the content, but it's the ability to interact with the content producer in a live setting, a live environment. And I think that is really the true appeal of chess streaming. And, and really, I mean, honestly, really most, most streaming and most esports streaming as well. So streamers, that's this year. I'm really looking forward to it. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, a couple of things you can do. Number one, there was a fantastic issue of Chess Life this last year. And I'm going to get my computer out and Google it just because I, I, I normally have tons of show notes that I sort of follow lo loosely. And... This just popped into my head, and it's a great cover. The cover is, is one of the best Just Life covers I have ever seen. Um, so go check it out. 
Ah, August, August 2020. There was a wonderful uh, cover piece and article about um, chest streamers. And it's a, it's a cool little collage style cover. It really gets in depth to it. So if you are a US Chess member, if you're not a US Chess member, go become one, man. The benefits are great. I can tell you, not just as an employee, I've been a US Chess member for over 25 years now. Over 30 years, I think. Because I joined when I was very young as a kid. And it's worth it. I mean, you get to play rated games, you get to compete, you get to be on the top 100 list, you get to be part of a great organization. And my favorite part, you get issues of Chess Life, which is uh, the official publication of the US, of US Chess. And I can tell you our editor, John Hartman, does a great job. It was really cool to see this, this issue. August 2020, Chess Life. Go check it out. All about chess streaming. Streamers, you know, they, they broadcast a variety of different topics. There's a community just for streamers. Many of them have their own Discord. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask your, your uh, child or grandchild. Uh, it's a communication server, basically. They'll give you all the, all the deets. I don't know if kids still say that. But go check it out. Wonderful issue, August 2020 Chess Life. Twitch.tv is where most streamers stream these days. A lot still use YouTube. A lot simulcast to Twitch and YouTube. Twitch is the primary streaming platform. And Hikaru Nakamura, our very own American grandmaster, Hikaru Nakamura, is one of the most famous and popular Twitch streamers. So check out his channel. I'm just plugging him because I think it's kind of an entertaining place. Not a sponsor of Chess Underground, unfortunately. Although, Hikaru, if you want to be, reach out. I'm here anytime. Really fun channel to watch. Though. There's, there's tons of them out there. Uh, leechess.org, you can go to their homepage. You'll find streamers uh, on their homepage all the time. Chess.com, same thing. Chess.com slash TV, same thing. ICC, same thing. Internet Chess Club has streamers as well. They have great video library. Content is moving in that direction. So this, this year, season three of Chess Underground, we're going to be on the cutting edge of the chess world. Hashtag grow the game. Um, Speaking to the streamers who are doing that, who are expanding the game to new audiences, to, to players, and to interested individuals who wouldn't have access to chess if not via Twitch. And that is really cool. And that is really important, I think, as we continue to try to grow the game. You know, that is one of our missions here at US Chess is to bring the game to everyone, ideally but especially to audience and demographics who might not otherwise have access to it. And, and Twitch and esports and streamers are doing that. So we're going to be talking to a lot this year. I have a few names in mind who I'd like to reach out to. I think will be very exciting if I can get them on. Again, our inaugural guest I am thrilled to speak with next month. Really looking forward to it. And I think it'll be a fun year. And most importantly, I think it will be a very relevant year with the direction that chess as an esport has been sent on by either this pandemic or the concept slash invention slash innovation of streaming in general. And I think we'll continue to go towards. And I think that's okay. People who know me well 
will tell you that I am one of the biggest traditionalists there is when it comes to chess. I like a quiet tournament hall. I like classical time controls. And yeah, all about the tradition. I mean, I, I've, I've spent, uh, you know, two and a half shows talking about the Candidates Tournament, which is a tournament that traces its lineage back to the 1860s, right? You know, when we had the first ever world champion who began, who created the line of world champions that we follow to this day. I mean, I am a chess traditionalist. And, it, and newsflash, this, I, I hate it. I'm sorry if I'm breaking some of your ears here, but it's okay to be both. It's okay to be both a chess traditionalist and also embrace the new way that the game is evolving. It's the 21st century. You know, it's not the 12th century anymore. <laughs> Queens can move farther. You can castle. Pawns can go two on their first turn. Also, there's this cool French thing called en passant. It's okay to be both in chess. And I think a lot of people uh, may not like to hear that. But I really believe that. It's okay to be both. It's okay to be a traditionalist. And it's okay to want to go play a Lee Chess Arena. Or to want to go play Crazy House. Or to want to go play Horde, which is like one of the most fun games ever. It's so ridiculous and absurd. But if you've never played Horde, H-O-R-D-E, if you've never played Horde Chess and have no idea what I'm talking about, go check it out. You can play it on Lee Chess. You can probably play it other places too. Just Google Horde Chess and go play a game and have fun and you're welcome. It's insanely fun. Um, and it's okay to be both. I really believe that. And that's the thought I'll leave you with. I will be back in May with my first guest, my first guest, my first streamer. Uh, we'll, have, we'll sit down, we'll have a chat in May. Until then, Thank you all for continuing to listen and support the Chess Underground. Concluding Season 2 Tournament Life, looking forward to the end of the Candidates Tournament, finally. This year-plus-long year chess tournament. And also looking forward to helping to grow the game and embrace the streamer culture starting in May. This is your host, Pete Karianis, for the Chess Underground. Signing off. Hug you back. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.7seasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. Thank you.